Good morning. Today's reading is from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Sarah's first time giving announcements and also uh, given the kind of different order of the service, there's a couple of announcements that we didn't get to Sarah in time to mention them, so I'll do that. Uh, Firstly, last Sunday night in here we had a fantastic music and dessert evening with just about perfect desserts uh, made by Ian Gilmartin, who's here today. There are a number of cheesecakes, Ian made extras, and so you can purchase those if you'd like to do that. And so... uh, Uh, get information from me or someone else, or Ian's here today as well, uh, afterwards in the foyer if you want to purchase a lovely uh, dessert for during this uh, season. Uh, Secondly, we have need, apparently, of a collapsible playpen. So if anybody has that for the nursery set up um, that they can lend to the church or or you know of someone who has one, let us know, and that would be a great help. Couple other prayer things. Uh, one, just we want to pray for Denise and Andrew and their family um, with uh, an impending birth of, of their second child. So we're going to be praying for Denise. That's uh, scheduled for this coming week. They, what's that? Thursday. So what are you doing Thursday? Um, and that's how this works now. It, it's you, just, you schedule it, so it's fantastic. Uh, but we want to pray for Denise and Andrew and their family. And then uh, I also want to pray for Matthew Moore. Many of you know Matthew, who was part of this congregation for a number of years and lives in Southern California now. Um, I don't have the picture to show you. I've got it on my phone, and James Cobb has it on his phone as well. But Matthew sent us a photo taken from his front yard uh, yesterday, and um, everything is on fire. That's basically the way to put it. So right across the street, there are nothing but these. You can see the smoke and the flames and... So uh, Matthew, in his typical kind of eloquent way, was talking about how it tends to focus the mind and, and you, don't, uh, you don't live in your head with all the emotional things you think through often when something is literally right at your doorstep. So I want to pray for Matthew. He also just lost his father recently um, and is, is planning a service that we might be uh, contributing to also. So let's pray together. Come Holy Spirit, we thank you for... Uh, the great kids' presentation, the work that was put in, and for the joy that they share. We thank you for that beautiful rendition of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Also, we ask your blessing. We pray for Denise this week with uh, this best of all news, blessing another child, and we pray for your mercy and for your joy. Times when 
the strength that is needed to, to face big challenges and joys in life is beyond us. We pray that that strength and joy, Heavenly Father, would come from you and that you will continue to bless this family. We pray for Matthew Moore uh, in Santa Barbara right now and not sure this morning what's happening. It seems to change moment by moment, but we pray that he would know his faith in you at this time and that he would also know our prayers for him. We pray particularly as he uh, tries to hold a lot together with a, a daughter who's had difficulties and now having lost his father. We pray, Heavenly Father, for your strength for Matthew right now. So now give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would say to us at this time of year on this Sunday, this Sunday before Christmas. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So you don't want to do this after a kid's presentation. You don't want to sing as a minister, but I've had this song in my head. It's, I've got it as a Christmas song. Um, and you know it. It's that, I can see clearly now the, what, you know the next word? The rain is, but it's not gone. It's back. But I had it in my head in this past couple of weeks, uh, changing the word rain to fog. Uh, because many of you know I tend to ride my bike most days. And uh, it's been interesting the last couple of weeks because of the fog. At times you can't see more than, you know, just a block or so in front of you. And uh, at other times you get pictures like this from Lost Lagoon, where this was a day where it was perfectly clear here where we are. But as soon as I was going across the Lionsgate Bridge, I just entered this bank of fog for the rest of the ride. And... Uh, and saw things like this. So it's been a metaphor for me and has become a prayer. What would it mean to emerge from the fog and see what God has done for us, particularly to see what God has done for us at Christmas time? We've taken up this series during Advent that we called the sense of Christmas. So smell and sound and sight and touch on Christmas Eve, we look at the incarnation that God has taken on flesh. But today is sight. First, we looked at Zechariah, the priest lighting the prayers of the people, the incense, that smell. But we were reminded in Zechariah's story what the angel Gabriel said to Zechariah, who carried this heartfelt prayer that he had maybe stopped praying. And Gabriel said to Zechariah, the Lord has heard your prayer. And we asked ourselves, what would it mean for each of us to consider if God has heard the depths of the desires of our heart? What if that's true? The second week, last week, we looked at the story of the Annunciation. It's a religious-sounding word, but it also finds other places where it's used, right? Annunciate properly. It is a telling, a speaking. Something is spoken to Mary that comes to pass, this annunciation. And for us, the consideration was that Mary, this barely older than a child, this young woman would hear and could hear the voice of God. So firstly, what would it mean in your life to consider that the Lord has heard your prayer? And secondly, this seems almost more audacious what might it mean that you could hear the voice of God? 
we considered in looking at that story of the Annunciation that there is a degree to which, I mean, it's safe to say this, that if you want to know what God says, what God speaks is Jesus, the Word. English doesn't have a good translation for it. You come up with a thing that says the Word. They read a name of God here, name of Jesus, Logos, right? That's the Greek word, which is more powerful than our English word, Word. Because the meaning is so much bigger than just something that's spoken. It is something that comes to be and in a way defines all of the universe, the word. What God speaks is Jesus Christ into this world. So from, so from smell to sound, today to sight, the week before Christmas, that crescendo, and you are either faced with feeling like you can't get it all done or with memories of what Christmas used to be, or with a joy. You can hear something like we heard this morning in those boys playing that piece, and I'm overwhelmed at times like that. And you can be so grateful for Christmas. Or you can feel, and you can feel all of this in one Christmas season, you can feel like, oh, I'm just not getting it this year. And it's going to be over. Next week it's going to be over, and I guess I'm just not going to feel it really said the little lamb to the shepherd boy or something like that. Do you see what I see? Christmas, we look for this kind of ethereal, and I use the word not in a, um, it's not to be counter faith, but we look for this ethereal, almost magical hush. See, there's a star. See, there's a star. And you look at a star on a Christmas card and it's just another Christmas card. Or you see a star on a card or somewhere else and your heart is touched. You see, there's a star leading these men from the east. It's important to know that they are stargazers. That's their thing. If they worship anything, it's the skies. And yet God calls them. According to that which they worship, to come and see the Christ child. He uses that, a star. See the angels, and then you hear, and there were shepherds in the fields keeping watch over their flocks at night, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. What a change there is there. And there were shepherds in the field keeping watch over their sheep at night. Okay, I'm good with that part. But then all it changes to, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. That's the King James translation. Do you see? They're not left alone. They hear this call of love, this good news of great joy for all people. See the manger, and you can feel this now. And when you put it on a church stage, and you light it up from behind, it's so nice and sharp and clean, even if it's rustic. Somehow with the star and the stargazers and the shepherds and those who came, somehow a more spectacular scene at their arrival. Of course, you play with the Christmas story a little bit because those stargazers showed up sometime after the manger, but anyway. At the arrival of the shepherds, it would somehow be disappointing if they showed up at a big castle, wouldn't it? 
So all the skies are doing these wonderful things, angels and choirs and stars, but it's all leading to this grimy, and when I pray, and I don't pray the word grimy, I pray another word that would offend you, but God seems okay with it. But anyway, this grimy little stable, that's where they're led. That there they would see the hope of all the world. And that's the question. Will they see it? The question for them, the concerns of their day. Back then, don't lose this. Back then, it would have been ridiculous to think that the hope of the world would be born as a baby in a manger, in an animal stall. People then would have thought it was ridiculous, as maybe people do now. What were the concerns of their day? These stargazers with their gifts, politicians and officials. How was it that they were trying to make their way in the world then? You know the occasion of Mary and Joseph being in Bethlehem, don't you? We know that this birth interrupted lives of people like the shepherds. And those men now called wise had taken up such a long journey. And Herod, the government official in charge of the land, shows us that Jesus always and this is still true today, Jesus will always be a threat to those in power. When you see Jesus aligned with those in power, you ought to be suspicious. For those who don't see, why can't they see? I've pictured it like a fog. What would the fog be that would prevent people back then from seeing the way things were? And I have in my mind that they, their lives were ordered like yours by decrees and direction. You know the beginning of many of the readings of the Christmas story. Caesar Augustus issued a decree because that's what people called Caesar do. He was in charge and their lives were affected by this and off they went. The biggest hope for many in cultures like that is that you might become someone who is in charge, but for most people, they wouldn't even hang on to a hope like that. And what about our seeing and the concerns of our day? It's easy to do the week before, two weeks before Christmas, to just uh, walk around or drive around. You've got to kind of immerse yourself in the traffic a little bit and not get frustrated. It's easy. I, I don't get frustrated driving. I do, actually. And it has no correlation, really, to if I have to be somewhere at a particular time. I can have a stretch of time available to me in the next hour, but if I'm driving and it's slower than I think it should be, then... So you're driving around the North Shore. Even you'll see it on Grand Boulevard out here sometimes where you get that. I call it the North Shore gridlock. Maybe you do, too. And the traffic of the two bridges seems to intersect. I have in my mind sometimes an old police song it just says, packed like lemmings into shiny metal boxes, contestants in a suicidal race. What are the decrees and directions of your day to get something done, all the tasks that you have? Whoever Caesar is has issued something that you have to go get something done. It's not easy or automatic in our world anymore, but let me say this, it's okay. But it's not easy or automatic to have faith. Faith in God, faith in Christ. Some, and you may know some of them, sometimes this can be a generational thing, 
this can be true for those who are older. Some people grew up in a time where it was easier and more automatic to have faith. It was the thing that was handed to you. In our world now, that's not how most people grow up anymore. It's not that long ago where just by growing up and living in a culture, like here, around here, and in Europe, and Western world, just by growing up in that culture, you would have a faith in God, or a belief in God at least. And I'm not saying that we should go back to that time. I'm just naming that it's different now. Now, what is handed to you instead of that? What's the automatic thing? Self? The concept that you are going to make your own history and meaning? Money? Finding a way to make things work in your life? That's what's handed to you automatically. Different decrees and direction. I sometimes think that the frog that has fallen has two types. First, for us in our culture, there is a secular fog. We can assume, and Christian people can even do this, so you carry a faith in God, but you're still affected by this. You can assume that there is really effectively no God. Transcendence is vague and ambiguous. Not written off entirely, but well, I guess it's a form of agnosticism. It's not true atheism because most people feel that there's some kind of order in the world and in life, even if they can't define what it is. What this means is that in terms of our secular world, we navigate through the decrees and directions of our day. Governments and banks and bosses and families trying to often aim for some kind of status or wealth or even if we've kind of pushed away from that, I don't care if I have status or if I'm wealthy because I see some of the emptiness in some of that, you might say. But even when that's the case, we often push towards just wanting to feel okay. Happiness. We've said it before from here. Parents will say, I just want my kids to be happy. As if that's a virtue of some kind. I don't want my kids to be unhappy, but I want a lot, something much more meaningful than happiness. And if you aren't happy, if you're not okay, then that just is a threat to everything. What's, what's going wrong now? This is the secular order of our culture. It's the fog that prevents me from seeing something more meaningful and lovely and lasting and beyond. But there's a fog of religious culture as well. And sometimes we're not as comfortable naming this as Christians or in a church. The fog of religious culture is that religion doesn't always necessarily have very much to do with faith. That's surprising to you? Religion doesn't always have very much to do with faith. Growing up in a church, you can sometimes, it depends what group of Christians you're around, but you can be directed to behave in certain ways, but nobody is really, really seeing if you actually believe. If you say you believe, that's one thing. But often what has been presented as Christian faith is nothing more than, and I can explain it to you a little bit if you like, nothing more than moral presumption. The idea that religion is better than non-religion, which our world has said, no, that's not necessarily true anymore. 
the idea that morally people of faith must be better than people of non-faith. But thankfully, it's, it's not only now that people are pushing against that. It happens repeatedly through history. I think we're in one of those times now where people are kind of looking and going, okay, those people who are saying they're Christians and they're talking about God more than anyone else, they don't seem the most moral to me. It's a moral presumption. A Christian, and I use this not as actual follower of Christ, but a, almost a political tag, a Christian fanaticism, hiding religious hatreds behind a cloak of religious sanctity. So your prejudices against other people are backed up by this abuse of religion. A desire for political power under the pretension of devotion to God. That's a religious fog that descends on people so that they can't see what God has done for the world in Jesus Christ. It's decrees and directions again. Do you see the bird in this picture? Can you see it? My favorite thing about this picture, it's like that bird just came from somewhere where he figured out what we can't see. Directions and decrees where people begin to believe or feel that the role of religion in the world is to issue stances. Here's what the church says about this thing or that thing. A religion of power that so often spreads division and fear. There are people, you may have experienced this in your life, and it doesn't, I'm not speaking like that you have to castigate people who do this. What I'm, what I'm saying is that it shows you a religious culture in which they were socialized. There are people within actual families who will communicate one to the other, say things like, well, I just can't necessarily have anything to do with you anymore because you broke whatever rule or whatever code of my religion. That's a religion of stances and power. And I'm going to tell you what it is. It's a fog that prevents you from seeing the love of Jesus Christ. When you receive something like that, if you ever have, have you ever in those times been impelled to think, boy, I sure see the love of Jesus now. But you know the rules. That's the fog of religion. And I've seen something in the last year. It's been happening for some time, but now it's really come like, just come full display where the term Merry Christmas can be turned into a political slogan said with almost a sneer. I'm going to say it because you don't want me to. You can't get much more sinful than that. And then, born into that, the culture of that day and the culture of our day, the star breaks through the fog, the angels break through that night sky, and the Christ child. Past secular decree and direction, past religious stance of any kind, to declare God's love for the whole world. To quote my favorite theologian, the Bible tells us not how we should talk with God. It does that a little bit actually, but anyway. The Bible tells us not how we should talk with God, but what God says to us. See the difference? The Bible tells us not how we find the way to him. And I want you to think of the manger and this Christ child being born. 
The Bible tells us not how we find the way to him, but how he has sought and found the way to us. And there will never be anything better. So, if you're a Christian here this morning, it's not some form of spiritual magic or, you know, prophecy to say that if you're a Christian here this morning, it might be that your faith could use some renewal. Rather than a vibrant faith in Jesus Christ, you might be carrying along a religious relic. Not convinced about it even yourself. I don't know if this makes any difference in the world. It can be tough to carry faith like that. In a world where it's not assumed. I pray for you if you're in that position. I've been there. that you would see again, maybe at Christmas, the hope of the world in Jesus Christ. Not in a religious decree, not even in a moral stance, though Christianity has an ethic to it. It's all found in Jesus Christ and his love and forgiveness. You see the hope of the world not in a religious decree or a moral stance or a church that somehow thinks it's supposed to be against the world but you see the hope of the world in this most visible sign, the incarnation of God's love. That is the faith that you carry. For God so loved the world. And nothing will ever be higher than what he has done in Jesus Christ. We're not called to scorn the world. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And nothing will ever be higher. You can think of it as a Christian. What is better or higher than Jesus Christ and what he has done for the world? Self-giving, sacrificial love. It's a sight that we would see. There's an image for it in Scripture. Paul prays for a people. So you could put Sutherland Church in there or another name or... But in this case, it's the Ephesians, the church at Ephesus. And Paul prays for them. And he says in Ephesians 1 and 3, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. Isn't that great image and metaphor? It's my prayer for you as a pastor. My prayer for you is that you would see the hope of the world in Jesus Christ. I pray that you would know, Paul says, as the eyes of your heart are enlightened, that you would know, ready for it? The hope to which you're called. It's glorious. But you've been in a fog. If you're not a Christian here, you could simply ask, and you definitely don't have to answer out loud. I can anticipate some of the answers. What do you think of the Christian faith? We would probably pretty quickly get to hypocrisy. Um, you know, people say they struggle with religious faith because there's so many hypocrites. We get that. We don't, we don't kind of say, nope, that's not true. It's obviously true. You might be put off by that. You might feel that Christian faith is quaint or old or ignorance. 
my prayer would be that you would see also. Most people are seeking to order their lives by laudable means and standards to be good and to do good and to make their way in this world. And into that I would simply say, considering Jesus Christ, will you ever, ever find anything higher than this? Anything more worth living for than self-sacrificial love for the whole world? You've seen it, the love of a parent for a child or in other relationships. Self-sacrificial love for the whole world because that is the declaration at Christmas time. Will you find anything higher to live by? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you would see, Christian and non-Christian, that this Jesus Christ, born to this earth, God taken on flesh, I pray that you would see that this, that he is worth giving your life to. And I am confident you will know meaning and joy and hope and purpose. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let me pray. So we pray, dear God, by the presence of your Holy Spirit, that you would enlighten the eyes of our heart. We don't have to make Christmas perfect. We don't have to chase a particular feeling. But I pray for everyone here, including myself, that we could emerge from whatever fog we can sometimes find ourselves in and know your glory in Jesus Christ our Lord. We ask your blessing on this next week as we head towards Christmas. We thank you for this place. We thank you that we can sing of our faith in you. We ask that you would bless the offering as it is taken. Come Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.